This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So the uh, Parliament's uh, Section 194 Committee, which was established to look into the fitness of the suspended public protector, Busisuem Kwabani, to hold office, uh, uh, continued with their work yesterday as they continue to put together their draft report um, following the months and months, uh, almost a year of uh, hearings uh, into this matter. The committee was set up, if you recall, more than a year ago uh, it's now in their final stages of compiling that report which must be tabled to the national assembly it must be supported by a two-thirds majority of the house in order for it to be adopted and for um, some kebani to be removed of course she is her term is due to come to an end anyway and on the 15th of October. Members of uh, the committee have accused uh, Ms. Mkwe, or Advocate Mkwebani of absconding from the inquiry into her fitness hold office. I've got uh, one of the committee uh, members. Uh, he is also a member of parliament for the Good Party. Brett Heron, good morning and thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, thank you. Uh, wow. The what? Are, first of all, what are your reflections on your thoughts on where we are now and what uh, uh, where we find ourselves with this uh, committee's work now, where the public protector seemingly will take no further part in uh, this process. Uh, and what's even uh, most crucially is that we will not get to hear her side of the story. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate that um, the the process um, diverted from oral evidence to um, a sort of standoff between the public protector and the committee and the public protector of South Africa's office around um, her legal representation mm. um, to the extent where she um, claimed that she was unable to participate because she was not legally represented. So I think um, for, the pro- for the sake of the process and for the sake of um, South Africans who have been following it, it was unfortunate that we came to a, a sort of abrupt end of oral evidence, um, the ability to, to question the public protector, um, and to hear from her directly, um, that was um, an unfortunate sort of deviation from what we had intended. Um, and um, and we'll see what the consequences are of that if if the public protector intends to um, to take any further legal action down the road. Do you believe, I mean, as you say, it's unfortunate that it ended up where things have to, to be done in writing and no oral evidence being heard. What do you believe could have been done differently? I mean, the public protector or the suspended public protector has sought, has always uh, cast aspersions or, or has basically, maybe not say cast aspersions, but has always questioned the integrity and fairness of the entire process and specifically of the chair calling him uh, on more than one occasion now for him to recuse himself. Look, I think that um, as, as far as possible, the committee has worked um, uh, to conduct a fair hearing, um, you know, I was certainly vigilant as a member of that committee to make sure that the public protector was treated fairly. Mm. Um, and um, the recusal applications um, were, were were all dealt with by the chair. The chair is, in my view, the only person who can decide whether um, there's bias or conflict of interest. 
Um, it was for the and I think in terms of the law as well, that happens. That's the case. I'm sorry. I was saying, and I think that's also in terms of the law that that's how these things work when it comes to recusal. Yeah, I think that is the that is the case. And so, I mean, there were there was a lot of um, sort of uh, what, what you would call um, points in limine or, or applications mm. within the process for for different rulings. Um, so, you know, I, I think I don't think the matter could have been dealt with any other way, given the manner in which. Um, the, the public protector approached the inquiry, which was from the outset that it was an illegitimate inquiry. Do you believe that the legitimacy of the process uh, will now be questioned, given the way things are the way things are playing out? Because I can't see any way back into the process for the public protector, given that I think you've even uh, uh, now uh, passed your deadline by which you were supposed to conclude this part, your, this part of your work. Well, I think, look, I mean, the public protectors um, still has another opportunity to respond to the um, the report that the uh, the committee will will now draft following mm. the this last weekend's uh, deliberations. So um, the public protector hasn't completely, um, um, I mean, the, the the use of the word abscond is, I think, is the wrong wrong word. She hasn't absconded from the process. She has dis- disputed. Um, that the process can continue in her absence, but mm. she's remained engaged with the committee through correspondence. So it may be that she comes back and makes some um, remarks on the report or some closing remarks. Mm. But I expect that ultimately, whatever the committee uh, recommends to the National Assembly, um, or, uh, or whether when, when the National Assembly votes on this matter, mm. I expect that there will be um, some some litigation. Um, that mm. flows from that. So I don't think that this process is over, um, and I expect that the public protector will try again in court to have the work either set aside or um, or reviewed. And finally, I mean, I look at the way the process uh, has gone, and I mean, this was uh, uncharted waters, um, you know, uncharted waters, and this was a new process. What would be the main takeaways from this? I think are there invaluable lessons that have been learned going forward should we ever have to go through something like this before? Um, what would be the main reflections for you as a member of this committee? It was uncharted waters, and I mean, it's really the first impeachment process, as far as I know, um, that we've, we've held under the Constitution and in the new democracy. I think for me the, the most important lesson is um, to, to set the rules and, and particularly the, the sticking point in this case was the, the right to legal representation, mm. um, which the Constitutional Court confirmed um, when the public protector made that application. But the question was read, I think the question that remained unanswered was who was responsible for those, the cost, the cost. of that mm. that, of that representation. And so when the money ran out and um, the public protector of South Africa's office was able to find uh, 4 million rand for for legal fees for the process to conclude, the public protector um, took the position that 4 million rand is an arbitrary amount and it may not be sufficient. So I think one of the the areas that needs clarification is if um, any Chapter 9 institution head or maybe even an executive like the president is impeached, um, to what extent is the public purse uh, meant to to cover the legal costs, mm. and and whether those can be limited? Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Well, we'll see, we'll still see, of course, uh, where things go beyond uh, beyond where we are right now, and whether the public protector will indeed herself come back and engage further with the process. Thank you very much, Brett Heron, for Thank coming you. on. I appreciate your time.
That's uh, Brett Heron. He's a member of that Section 194 committee and also a member of Parliament for the Good Party. Just to say that we had invited the chair of the committee, um, Richard Yankee, um, but, uh, well, we were unsuccessful in getting him to come on this uh, morning. I'm not quite sure what the issue was, but uh, in fairness to him, he is somebody who has already always made himself available to us in the past. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.